You're listening to Look at the Film, a podcast that covers Philly sports and topics trending across the nation. For your hosts, Brent Thumb and Frank Graybars, the third, our two straight shooters that have been debating sports since their high school days, right outside of Philadelphia. Before they have rants, they have fun, and they keep it real. Now, here are your hosts, Brent Thumb and Frank Graybars, the Welcome to Look at the Film, the pot of rant fun reel. My name is Brent Baum, and I am not only your favorite contrarian, I'm the only contrarian. I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Welcome to the very first episode of Look at the Film, the pod of rants, fun, and real. And this is a podcast I've been wanting to do for a long time. Frank and I have been friends for a long, long time, since high school. We've always debated about anything and everything, whether it was sports, whether it was women. It just didn't matter. We just always found ourselves debating a plethora of topics. We're both two fellow Scorpios, so there's a lot of fire, a lot of electricity, a lot of intensity when it comes to our sports debate. So we thought to ourselves, why not have have a sports podcast yeah i mean it just naturally came up one night brett and i was 12 13 years now 2005 art class teachers always got mad at us you know to the point where they legitimately thought we were fighting surprise both of us never got really detention for it but <laughs> we uh we pissed off uh you know other classmates they're like oh god you know guys shut up but yeah it just it came about one night we were uh, talking on the phone we got into an argument as we always do whether that be on social media or on the phone or in person we just were like hey Yo, why don't we do a podcast? And uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Oh, yeah, I am, too. This podcast, we're mostly going to be covering Eagles, Sixers mostly. We will include the Phillies, the Flyers, some college basketball, college football, and topics trending across the country, whether it's NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, pop culture, and our day-to-day adventures. But we are coming off uh, Eagles game. They had to grind it out, 19-10 victory over the Raiders. Now he goes 13-2, clinching home field advantage for the playoffs. And we will get into that. But first, since we are in the spirit of Christmas, a very, very festive holiday, very good win for the Eagles to get that win. Obviously, you look at the Sixers, they got that win against the Knicks. But I want to ask you, Frank, how was your holiday? Uh, I worked. I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. If you got to work on a holiday, I mean, your life kind of sucks. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, I uh, my friend's out here. Uh, so I live in Clovis, New Mexico. Uh, Brent is out of Philly right now. But, you know, uh, they invited me over to their house, my buddy and his girlfriend. And they cooked a home-cooked meal. Uh, my wife's in Florida, so I don't get that very often. And, uh, you know, drank some beer and watched the game. And uh, uh, it was a good night. How was your night? Oh, yeah. No, my night was very good. I went back home, always always down for uh, Christmas holiday, spending time with my family, opening up gifts. And I watched the Sixers and Knicks at 12. I thought that was a good game. Great win for the Sixers after losing five straight wins. I mean, after losing five straight games. So that was a good win for the Sixers. And I ate some lasagna. My mom makes this infamous lasagna, lots of cheese. I just love lasagna. Lasagna is probably one of my favorite <laughs> foods of all time. I, I, I sprinkle some red hot pepper flakes on there. And it's not that I add a little jalapeno because I, I like hot food. That's just always been one of my things. I just absolutely love hot food. I know there's people out there who don't like the spicy foods, like stuff a little bit more mild, but I'm a spicy type of guy. Yeah, uh, first and foremost, lasagna is Italian and you're mixing it with more like jalapenos. That's like more of the Mexican food. That's, I mean, if you like it, you like it. Uh, oh, but Frank, but I'm, Frank, I'm, but Frank, I'm, you I'm can do call, that though. I'm going to start calling, uh, yeah, I'm going to start calling you Garfield if you love lasagna so much. Uh, <laughs> 
But well, I, I am so, a Garfield. You know, I, I have no problem with Garfield. No, I mean, he likes lasagna. You like lasagna, but I'm pretty sure Garfield would be pissed off if you put uh, jalapeno peppers on his. Like, what's the point of eating spicy food? It burns when it goes down. It burns when it comes <laughs> out. It's pointless. It's dumb. Right. Don't don't knock it until you try it. I know you're not a mild, I know you're not, not a hot not food type to. of guy. I know, I understand that, Frank. <laughs> I say don't don't knock it until you try it. But uh, I was curious, Frank. Did you uh did you watch any? Do you have any like? I know I watch some Christmas movies. Did, do you have any favorite Christmas movies out there? Uh, no. Not really. Um, uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't like Christmas. Uh, I enjoy the obviously spending time with the family. I can't do that. All my family's back in PA. Uh, but shortly here in the, in the next few months, I'll be able to because uh, I'm moving out of this state. But no, I don't really like the holiday. Uh, all the movies are overplayed. I mean, I'll watch them. Home Alone is a classic. Uh, Christmas Story, you know, I, they just play it on repeat. gets annoying. So no, I really don't have a favorite movie. <laughs> well, well, I understand that, Frank. But see, I, that's like my childhood. See, growing up, I I love Christmas movies. It, it's the it's the thing about Christmas movies. The great thing about it is just the anticipation of watching them. The only time you watch them is around Christmas. So I would I mean, watch Christmas Story, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, while indulging in some chocolate and vanilla chocolate chip cookies with cookies and cream ice cream. I mean, that's like my favorite go-to combination. So I've always been a Christmas movie type guy. And even though I understand people say that white chocolate is not real chocolate. It's not genuine chocolate because it doesn't contain chocolate solids. I get that. But I still love white chocolate. I've always been a white chocolate type of guy. I mean, people listening to this in the first few minutes are probably going to think, hearing me talk, I'm a negative Nancy. But I really don't even like dessert. Uh, So... Yeah, I'm Negative Nancy, so we got Garfield. <laughs> Welcome to Look at the Film with Negative Nancy and Garfield. Um, but no, uh, no. I, if I have a choice dessert-wise, uh, it's going to be a hot brownie right out of the oven with some vanilla ice cream. Oh, no, that sounds that sounds absolutely delicious. I've, I've always been a brownie guy myself. But speaking of Christmas, obviously the, the Eagles played on Christmas Day for the second time only. And whenever Philly and Christmas gets brought up in the same conversation... We instantly think of Santa Claus getting pelted with snowballs by Philadelphia Eagles fans. And that's just been like a, a black eye, a stigma that Philadelphia has had to deal with. Because Philadelphia, I mean, we're known for several things. Cheesesteaks, Liberty Bell, uh, soft pretzels, and throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. However, I feel like not enough people truly understand the whole story of throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. And, and where, where it started, the inception of it, and it really started in uh, 1968. I'm sure that some of you, you watched the story on ESPN where they explained the story, but not all of you actually watched the story, I'm sure. So I'm going to get into it. Basically, it was 1968 at Old Franklin Field. Eagles had, they had a terrible year, a dismal year. They lost 11 straight games. They finished the season 2-11. and they won two games back-to-back against the Lions and the Saints. And this is the year where everybody was trying to get the O.J. Simpson. They are all trying to get the O.J. Simpson sweet sticks. In the upcoming draft, he was going to be the uh, unanimous first overall pick. Everybody knew that. And then with the whole tradition of the Eagles celebrating Christmas and having the, e- having the Eagles cheerleaders dress up as elves and obviously they bring in Santa Claus, That's that's been a, a tradition that they brought in toward the end of the season as like a fan appreciation type of thing. However, because of the weather, it was it was pouring with snow, the original Santa Claus who was supposed to be there 
either he got heavily intoxicated <laughs> or he could not make it because of the inclement weather. So they decided to get somebody else, the entertainment director, Bill Mullen, decided to approach a fan who was sitting in the stands by the name of Frank Olivio. And he decided to fill in his absence as Santa Claus. So he came in there, Santa Claus, Olivio came in there, and uh, he wore a Santa suit, fake beer to the game. And as he as he came into the stands, I mean, as he came onto the field, people were just pelting snowballs at him. And obviously the Eagles fans were very upset because of how they were playing and how they missed out on O.J. Simpson. I mean, the Bluebirds were in full effect. However, they the Eagle fans continue to have this stigma for throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. So I just want to know, Frank, do you <laughs> think it's that big of a deal? Is this a big deal? No, it's not. Uh First and foremost, I love the sounds of the city uh, that we just heard. But no, I hate the I hate that stigma because Philly fans are always going to be known for several things. They're going to be booing JD Drew, all right, uh, throwing syringes at Barry Bonds uh, when he came to Citizens Bank Park, throwing snowballs at Santa Claus, cheering Michael Irvin's injury, um, allegedly, chant- allegedly, allegedly. Chanting O D O D O D when T O came back to Philly uh, while he was a Dallas Cowboy. Uh, guess what? Newsflash: All teams and all their fans across the country, right? All of us were passionate, and we have dumb fans do dumb things. Every team can say the same thing. Just look. What was it? Two weeks ago, Seattle versus Jacksonville, when the Jaguars fans were throwing stuff at a. Uh, I I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, one of the O line, uh, sorry, defensive linemen for the Seattle Seahawks. Right. That's. A, but you're not going to hear about it. Okay. So you heard a little blip on ESPN, Fox Sports, CBS Sports. They talked about it, and then that's the end of it. Are we going to hear about that? Are we going to hear about what the Jags fans did uh, in the next 40 years? No. 50 years? No. We're not going to hear about that. But no, it's the Philadelphia Eagles or a fan base that is consistently. We've gotten our hopes up every year. Right, every year we get our hopes up with every single team, and they choke. Somehow they choke. Flyers, 2010, uh, in the Stanley Cup against Chicago Blackhawks. Phillies, hey, we won in 08. I missed it because I was in basic training. But then 09, we lose to the Yankees. Uh, prior to Villanova winning the national championship in 2016, uh, Nova had gone to the Final Four to lose to North Carolina in 09. Um, the Temple Owls uh, look good. And then they fall off. St. Joe's, a few years back with Jameer Nelson, making it to the Elite Eight. The whole city's excited. Uh, loses. But And then we had a horse. We, we were cheering for a horse to win three races, and he couldn't even do that. So everybody knows that. Basically, the point I'm trying to make, everybody knows that Philly fan base were kind of were, – we're itching for more championships. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a high market area up in the Northeast when you have teams in Boston, New England area. New York City, D.C., and these teams are consistently good. We sit right there, and we're good. We choke. So they're just it's just another thing for people to bash on the Eagles fans uh, and Philly fans in general, just like they bring up rings. Well, I look at it this way, Frank. I don't really care that they threw snowballs at Santa Claus. It's not that big of a deal. Talk about hyperbole and exaggeration. It's one of those things that people just can't let down. In fact, it's one of those things that people instantly think of when they think of Philadelphia. Oh, they threw snowballs at Santa Claus. 
I mean, that's just an antiquated story. It doesn't matter. But at the same time, Philadelphia fans did do it to themselves. They, I feel that they should embrace the whole villainous persona of throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. To me, it was a joke. It was all fun. They had a bad season. As I mentioned, they lost 11 straight games. They, they missed out on O.J. Simpson. I mean, I get that. So it's not that big of a deal to me. They threw snowballs at Santa Claus, but at the same time, own up to it. Own up to the fact that we threw snowballs at Santa Claus. It happened. We had that reputation of, as being very passionate. And yes, we do have some Eagles fans, and I'll say Philadelphia fans in general, who can be fair weather at times. That's, that's a very controversial thing out there for people because they don't want to hear fair weather. But there are people out there in Philadelphia who who love who love to cheer you on when you're when you're great. But the moment that you start playing badly, they will let you know. And that's part of what makes the Philadelphia fan base so great. They keep it real with you. Just like we keep it real on this podcast. This is the pod of rants, fun, and real. So aside from the Santa Claus story, let's get into this Raiders-Eagles game and how the Eagles were able to gut it out at the link, win the game 19-10, clinching home field advantage 13-2. Let's let's dissect this game. Let's look into it. Let's get our scalpel out. And we look at this game. The first thing that enters my mind is how lucky that the Philadelphia Eagles got to clinch this clinch home field advantage and pull this game off. When you have a quarterback by the name of Nick Foles, who's replacing Carson Wentz, the way he played in this game, 19 for 38, completing only 50% of his passes, 160 yards, one touchdown, one interception, sacked two times, 59.4 quarterback rating. I mean, it, it just it just speaks high volumes. It just represents who Nick Foles is as a quarterback. Everybody looks back at 2013 and says, Oh, Nick Foles, he threw 27 touchdowns, only only two interceptions, and 13 games. Yes, great. Then the next season, he only played eight games, then got relegated to the bench for Mark Sanchez, didn't play the rest of the season, and then he got traded to the Rams, and then he got benched for Case Keenum. Okay, but I just think that we watched Nick Foles in this game, he just never looked downfield. Every single pass he was making, it was so predictable. He threw the ball. To, he, he targeted Zach Ertz 14 times. If you're looking for Dinkin and Duncan, then yes, it's true. And Foles, we trust. Uh, you know, I'm going to argue a little bit with you here. Um, let's remind everyone that this is Foles' second game as a starter since... He played with the Rams. We don't have to get into the topic that Jeff Fisher ruins quarterbacks. So obviously Nick Foles looked bad under Jeff Fisher. So did Casey Keenum and so did uh, Jared Goff. But let's see how how's Casey Keenum playing this year. How's Jared Goff playing this year? Oh, that's right. Both of those teams are in the playoffs. Oh, wait. The Eagles are too. Who's our quarterback right now? Nick Foles. Yes. Wait, wait, wait a second there. Wait a second there, Frank. The reason why Case Keenum is playing so well is because he has an elite Vikings defense. And you're going to say the Eagles defense isn't elite? Oh, the Eagles defense certainly is not elite. After after all the yards that the Eagles have been giving up the last couple of games, just look at the numbers, Frank. Look at the numbers. And those last couple of games, let's say the three games 
I'm looking at the three games where they lost to the Seahawks, they beat the Rams, and they beat the Giants. They gave up 82 points and over just under 1,200 yards, total yards. And you're telling me this is an elite defense? Okay, so you're saying this based off of last night. You're saying, uh, sorry, Monday Night Football. Um, you're saying this based off of the Giants game, which is an NS- NFC East battle. It's always going to be tough. And then the Seattle Seahawks, right? Oh, sorry, the Rams. The Rams right, well, and the Seahawks, yeah. they got eradicated. That secondary no, got eradicated in those games. I'm talking about the defense. Yes, they won and two so out of those did, three. So did the Rams defense. But we're not talking so, about so the Rams. The point I'm tr- no, no, I know we're not. But the point I'm trying to make is has to bring the Rams into it. Eagles, Rams, top two offenses going into that game. Obviously, you knew the defenses were going to struggle regardless going against the top two offenses in the game. Our defense still number one in rushing yards allowed, right? Okay. Um, with how our offense is kind of still learning with Nick Foles under center, the fact that our defense is sitting on the field for so long, right? Time of possession for Oakland was 34 minutes and 21 seconds. Okay, so that is six more minutes, roughly six more minutes than the Eagles had the ball. And they still managed 274 total yards. Oakland Raiders, that's well, not, well, that's well, not Frank, bad. Well, wait, Frank, wait. I got it for you, though, man. I'm, look, uh, I'm looking at it right now, though. With the time of possession, Eagles only had the ball. they only had the ball for 25 minutes. The Raiders had it for 34 minutes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So the Eagles' defense is sitting out on the field for 34 minutes out of this game. They still managed to... Five turnovers. They recovered three fumbles, two interceptions. They still held Oakland at 10 points. I'm not completely worried. Why? Because we have a dominant front seven. We have a, a little right now above average linebacker core. It would be better if we we had Jordan Hicks this year. Uh, the only thing that really scares me is uh, our secondary. But they still they still do the job. Right, uh, see, a lot better than others. But see, Frank, Frank, I want to, I want to look into the Eagles' offense. That's that's really what I want to get into, and then I will get into the defense. Don't even get me okay. started on the defense. <laughs> we look at Nick Foles. Okay, he led this Eagles' offense to one out of fourteen on third down, down third down conversions. Talk about efficiency. One out of fourteen on third down, two turnovers, and whenever you watch them in this game. He had so many near pick sixes in the first quarter where he threw that one pass underneath the Nelson Aguilar. Reggie Nelson, if he would have came underneath that route, that would have been a pick six. Or talk about how many times he overthrew his receivers from Aguilar to Smith to Ertz in the red zone twice. And then to Jeffrey as well several times. And he threw he threw behind Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, Nick Foles kept on dinking and dunking because he doesn't have enough confidence in throwing the deep ball. He's, he always is throwing passes across his body, or he's throwing off his back foot, or he's getting his pass batted down. And you saw later on in the game, Reggie Nelson, he said, fool me once, make me a fool. He, he did not get fooled the second time. He got an interception hey, off Nick Foles. When, what did Nick Foles do? He threw off his back foot to Ertz. It bounced off his hands, and it was an interception. I almost yeah. forgot for a second that this man, Nick Foles, is the same guy who threw seven touchdowns against the Oakland Raiders in 2013. Different defense for the Oakland Raiders that year. But we're missing the overall point here. Okay. We could go ahead and chalk this up as a bad game. This was a bad performance by the Philadelphia Eagles. Absolutely abysmal. 
But we still got the win. And that's really all that matters right now. So if this is our worst and we still won, I can only imagine what we're going to look like if we're on point. Yes, Nick Foles is not Carson Wentz. And nobody's going to argue that. Nobody's going to dispute that. But Nick Foles can still bring the Eagles and the fan base to the promised land and bring us our first Super Bowl. I'm not going to say it's going to happen this year, but I have hope. I have faith. I have P-H-A-I-T-H. We got the win. It was a bad game. Just a few, a few, few things Few things we're going to have to fix up before the playoffs, and I honestly believe the Eagles can go to the Super Bowl just, just and win a, it. Just a few things, Frank. I mean, just, let's look more into what Nick Foles was doing in the game. He wasn't even looking Jeffrey or Smith's way. Jeffrey only had two targets. No catches. Okay. Sean Smith shut him out. He pitched a shutout. And That's then, play and calling. And then Torrey Smith had only five targets, one reception for five yards. It, it, and you look at Jeffrey's been having a very good year. 56 receptions, just under 800 yards, nine touchdowns. Second highest touchdown number he's had since 2014 when he, when he had two when he had 10 touchdowns for the Bears. And, and people keep on saying, oh, well, Foles has a lack of reps. It's a lack of reps. But what about the two weeks of reps versus the Giants and the Raiders? As I said before, if you want a quarterback that's going through dink and dunk, then in Foles, we trust. Hey, we got the win, though. But, uh, yeah, look, it's actually this is actually funny. The tables have turned because I'm actually not completely worried about the statistics like you are. Typically, I'm the one spewing out statistics to you while you're saying, look at the film. And so I looked what I saw, didn't like what I saw a lot last night. Our secondary still getting burnt. Jalen Mills, you stop biting. If you don't have that safety help, stop biting. And we're going to against more elite teams, we may get burnt. But that was an ugly performance, an ugly game. I still have faith, P-H-A-I-T-H, in Foles. I still have faith in this team. Uh, Doug Peterson, really, it was play calling last night. Uh, he abandoned the run. Um, then when he realized the passing game wasn't working, he was like, hey, uh, let's try running again. And they're getting stuffed. I mean, J.H.I., 14 carries, 52 yards, not great. Average of 3.7. Corey Clement. Was averaging seven yards, but that's only because he had two carries. Like Eric Blunt, twelve yards. Okay, cool. Uh, not great, but our offensive line. Vitai is garbage. Okay, I hate Vitai. Sorry, I don't hate him. I, I don't know the man. Uh, I don't like him as an offensive lineman. But it's really a tall task to ask someone to go in and fill a future Hall of Famer's uh, role when he went down this season. In the offensive line, the play calling, it was all bad. But at the end of the day, again, I'm gonna. I have a nice little Liberty Bell. Here next to me, and it's an actual bell, so it's kind of funny. It's the Liberty Bell that rings. Uh, we got the win, and that's all that matters. <laughs> to me. Oh yeah, well, Frank, I love the Liberty Bell touch. I love that. But see, Frank, I do look at the film. I just broke down to you. All you broke the, down stats. All the, all, no, I did not just break down stats. I broke down all the poor mechanics that Nick Foles have, such as throwing it across his body, throwing off his back foot. Throwing behind, throwing passes behind his receivers, getting his, getting the balls batted down. I broke that down. I told you when it happened, how it happened, the interceptions he threw, him not going through his progressions. I threw stats in there to show you how poorly they were on third down. Too many three and outs. And it's funny how they were so good on fourth down. They were two for two on fourth down. And one play I really look at and is in the second quarter. Toward in the second quarter. 
way before the Bluebirds were full in effect, where Nick Foles had an opportunity to extend the drive. I believe it was third and four. And okay. rather than run and get those extra yards, he decided to throw the ball away. And that's what happens when you have a pocket passer like Nick Foles, who lacks mobility. And this is all before Jake Elliott obviously missed a 31-yarder before the end of the half. And that's when the Boo Birds went full into effect. And and it's really interesting. That's the thing I just don't understand about Jake Elliott. He's such a good kicker with the long-distance kicks. He had a 62-yarder early in the season against the Giants. Epic game-winning kick. But for whatever reason, remember, his very first kick, he missed it. And it was a chip shot. And everybody was ready to say, oh, Eagles are holding tryouts. Now it's time to get a high school quarterback to replace Jake Elliott. So it is interesting how Jake Elliott, he misses the short ones, mixed the long kicks, and that could potentially hurt the Eagles later on down the road and postseason because everybody knows come postseason, you need to have a kicker who is clutch. Uh, I still think he's clutch. I mean, it holds the rookie record for longest kick, and it's also the Eagles record for the longest kick to win a game. And longest kick in Lincoln Financial Field. Uh, you got to look at the weather conditions too, man. Um, wind was real bad in there going uh, east to west. Uh, you saw Oakland's kicker miss a, uh, a chip shot. Um, uh, maybe not complete chip shot, but it was it was still a kick should be made. Uh, Jake Elliott, okay, he missed the 33-yarder. Cool. It, the wind chill was in the teens. You're kicking a football that's rock hard because uh, of how cold it is. Not worried about it. I know it's going to get colder as the season progresses, uh, as we get into playoff time. Uh, I'm not worried about Jake Elliott. I'm honestly really not worried about Nick Foles. Uh, 15, 58% completion this year in two games. He still has five touchdown passes, 498 total yards. It, it, it's it's going to be enough to get it done. I just think we need to incorporate the run more. We've got J.H.I.E. We've got LeGarrette Blunt. We've got Corey, uh, sorry, Corey Clement is actually proving himself to be a, a solid rookie running back uh, out of the University of Wisconsin. Uh, I knew about Corey Clement when I watched uh, the Big Ten Championship last year. Uh, he was running all over the Penn State Nittany Lions defense. But I, I'm not worried just yet. Um, obviously, we're, we're going to get in the topic in a little bit, but we're going to talk about uh, this next upcoming game against the arch-rival Dallas Cowboys. Are we sitting people? Are we starting people? Um, but no, no. I, I think we're going to be fine. Like I said, tie up a loose, couple loose ends. Oh, Frank, and, hold uh, the bone. We're going to be back, gonna be bone, back to Frank. what we were. I can't believe you just said that Nick Foles, you're not worried about Foles. First of all, against not. the Giants, all those those four touchdown passes that Nick Foles threw, yeah. they were all underneath throws. They were no, no they none, weren't. Of them were, none of them were deep passes. Yes, they were. You need to look at the they film. Weren't, they weren't look underneath the film. Throws. Yes, they weren't deep passes. They're all in the red zone. They weren't okay. deep passes and strides. So that's what I'm trying to explain to you. And Carson Wentz—that's majority Nick. of Carson Wentz. Not to cut you off, but a majority of Carson Wentz's touchdown passes, not taking away what he's done this year, were this same similar type plays. But but see, Carson Wentz—he can go deep. Nick Foles cannot go deep. Nick Foles, when he plays, he doesn't look downfield. He's looking at Zach Ertz. He's looking at Aguilar on all the little underneath intermediate routes. He's not looking deep. And that's why defenses are starting to play these base fronts. They're starting to take away the run. They're starting to load up the box. They're starting to play specific defenses designed to stop the intermediate routes. And that's why you saw come toward the end of the second half, I mean towards the second half, start of the second half, Nick Foles was getting more exposed with each snap. 
and you saw he was very uncomfortable. Now, granted, I understand there were some penalties on the offensive line. Lane Johnson had a tough matchup against Khalil Mack. I mean, Khalil Mack, we're talking about the reigning defensive player of the year. So that was a tough matchup for Lane Johnson. I think he did a solid job. Khalil Mack uh, didn't get any sacks. But the, the thing I'm looking at is the stat shooter receivers, they just weren't, they were virtually non-existent. And you can't have that in your quarterback if you're going to get to the Super Bowl. And that's a big reason why. Wait for it. That's a big reason why. I'm saying it's about time that the Eagles decide to pick up a quarterback from the street. And I will get much into that. I will, I will tell you which quarterback I think the Eagles should get off from the street right after these messages. If you enjoy listening to Look at the Film, then visit podcast.com. In the search bar, type Look at the Film. Believe me, you don't want to miss any episodes. That's podcastwithanS.com. Hit that download button so that Brent and Frank keep this podcast on the air. Welcome back to Look at the Film, the pod of rants, fun, and real. And I was just here to tell you guys about which quarterback I think the Eagles should get off the street to replace Nick Foles. Before I do get into that, I do want to go over some more things that we will be talking about much later in this show. Uh, we will be talking more about the Eagles and Raiders matchup, Monday Night Football, the question mark of who's more deserving of MVP, Carson Wentz or Tom Brady? Which team in the NFC poses the biggest threat for the Eagles? And can Nick Foles lead this Eagles team to Super Bowl LI 52? Super Bowl 52 for those of us who don't like Roman numerals. So, and also we'll talk about the Eagles a little bit. Eagles and Cowboys, the finale. Which players should be starting? Which players should be benched? But I do want to get into right now, which quarterback I would get off the street to replace Nick Foles. And the first player comes to mind. Don't say it. Is as Robert Griffin the third? That's oh, the first geez. person that comes to mind because RG three he is better suited for this offense. Okay, his first year of success he had a mixture. He had success through a mixture of the spread offense principles and the West Coast offense concepts under Shanahan, and he has the mobility. That Carson Wentz had when the offense was running so smoothly. And if you don't want to talk about RG3, you can, you can look at Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick's another quarterback who understands the West Coast offense. He ran that under Jim Harbaugh with the 49ers. And these are just quarterbacks to me who can look downfield, that can make the deep passes, that can extend plays, and create more confusion for opposing defenses. Because we have a Nick Foles at quarterback, there is no confusion. All you know he's going to do is he's going to step back, he's going to lag up in the pocket, stay in the pocket, not make quick decisions, and then before you know it, it's another Nick quick pick six. Um, I, The quarterback, I think, if we were going to go uh, away from Nick Foles, which, to be real here, is not going to happen, uh, is you, you got you to bring in the fact that you got to bring a player in to kind of learn the system. Yeah, okay, they may know how to run a West Coast offense, but they still got to learn Doug Peterson's system. It's not going to happen, especially with one game till the playoffs. But if I had a choice, if I had to say, hey, we got to get rid of Nick Foles, uh, let's bring in a quarterback, whether that be off the street, free agent. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say let's bring in uh, Rex Grossman. Yep. Rex Grossman. No, I'm really, just me- Frank? No, I'm just messing around. Hey, he, he took the Bears to the Super Bowl. No, uh, <laughs> if, 
If honestly, uh, I would have to go Colin Kaepernick. The problem with that is, uh, is ultimately because he's tied up with the uh, legal stuff with the NFL, he, he, he won't be able to gain a contract and, uh, and play. Uh, but I would take Colin Kaepernick over RG3. RG3 is uh, injury-prone. Uh, yeah, he's a, a big, strong quarterback, big, strong man. Uh, he's a big, strong quarterback, but uh, I just – Colin Kaepernick has more of an experience in the postseason. Obviously, uh, he him and the 49ers were in the Super Bowl against the Ravens uh, and, and you know, came down to the wire in that game. Uh, so basically, if I had the choice – it would be Colin Kaepernick, but we're not getting rid of Nick Foles. And I still, I will say it again, I have P-H-A-I-T-H in Nick Foles. Oh, my gosh, Frank. For a second there, I actually thought we were going to agree on something. I really thought that. See, Colin Kaepernick, he understands, as, as you mentioned, Colin Kaepernick, he still could play for the Eagles right now, despite the, the legalities and the issues he has with the NFL. He still could play. He they could. could. sign him if they wanted to. And I think they should. Colin Kaepernick, a lot of people are forgetting that. Colin Kaepernick, he did help lead the 49ers, even though the 49ers had a great defense. He subbed in for Alex Smith in the middle of the season and got them all the way to the Super Bowl before they lost to the Baltimore Ravens. But Joe Flacco was on no, fire he... that, that Super Bowl. Didn't throw any interceptions. He had probably one of the best postseasons that a quarterback can have. So Colin Kaepernick, he, I'm not, I was never the biggest Colin Kaepernick fan as a quarterback because I think that – he, he doesn't really take enough deep shots. He's not that great of a deep passer. His accuracy is a little bit off on the deep passes. I think he takes off and runs too much before going through his progressions. However, he's an upgrade from Nick Foles. The Foles gold. That's what he's an upgrade for. And that's a big reason why I say RG3 or Kaepernick. And I don't care what people say that RG3 is injury prone. Keep in, ma- keep in mind, RG3 was on the Browns his last season. Okay? The Browns... And he they sucked. Did not, they did not block for him. That's why he was so terrible. That's why he had a draconian season. Because he got hurt. But at the same time, he had no offensive line. The only offensive line that he had that was good was Joe Thomas. He didn't have any receivers. Josh Gordon was not there. So you look at it this way. RG3, yes, he's in the studio right now. He's an analyst. But he's still young. He could easily get out of the, the analyst's desk and get back onto the field. And make an impact for the Philadelphia Eagles. And then I would have a lot more confidence in the Eagles actually making a Super Bowl run. Uh, I mean, a wistful thinking. We're not GMs, so. Uh, but, let, I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna agree Nick Foles has his issues. And we still have to be realistic. Howie Roseman is not going to go out and try to get another quarterback. First off, I don't even know who our our now second string quarterback is. I don't even know his name. Never heard of the dude before. Uh, but if I'm going to agree, Ka- Kaepernick's only the way to go. Not RG three. Uh, Kaepernick's better than RG three. Uh, he has more body of work, and and that's really all I'm going to say on the matter. But hey, well, you know well, I'm right well, actually, because we're we're not going to go out and get a new quarterback. Well, well, we can't we can't we can't bury Nate Sudfeld. I mean that's that's who the Eagles have as their backup quarterback. He was on the practice squad. He understands the offense. Uh, he played college football at Indiana. He was a six-round pick in 2016, 6'5", strong-arm quarterback. And maybe the funny thing about it is Nate Sudfeld might just be better than Nick Foles, despite the lack of experience. 
And that would be that, very that, interesting term because Nate Sudfeld, he says he wants to play against Dallas. He wants to play. And I'm telling you, if Sudfeld plays well against Dallas, it looks a lot better than, Nate, than Nick Foles. There just might be a quarterback controversy, Frank. No. No. Okay. I, there would be a quarterback controversy if Carson Wentz went down in the first or even second week of the season. Hell, even if he went down in preseason. Wow. Uh, cops are headed your way because they don't like your arguments. No, I'm joking. Um, but right I know, now, right? I don't know. It's kind of are... something to deal with right now. I know for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, but like there's a lot of there's a lot of sirens, a lot of you know fire trucks. There must be some fire burning building around my way because I, I live over in the Jicketown area, and it's it's just terrible, terrible timing. Given the fact that we are doing a podcast, our first podcast, but you know, what are Murphy's Laws? What can go wrong will go wrong. And it happens. Uh, I mean, it adds for cool cool sound effects, uh, really. No, but back to the original point I was making was we could have potentially had a quarterback controversy had Carson Wentz went down in the preseason or either week one or week two. Uh, we're too late in the season for this. We wrapped up home field advantage. We have a first-round bye. Uh, a divisional game is coming to Philly. Possible conference championship is coming to Philly. Uh, and you're going to throw in a rookie quarterback? I mean, what what are his stats? I still don't know the dude, uh, and I don't really care. Um, but he played in the Big Ten, obviously, if he played for Indiana. Probably didn't do too hot because Indiana is garbage. I, I, I wouldn't put a rookie quarterback in. Uh, Nick Foles played in a uh, – played in a – a postseason game, uh, even though they lost to the Saints that year, uh, I still have more faith. You want to say it with me, Brent? P H A I T H. No, I can't say uh, about I still have Foles, more faith. I, you don't. I can't say about Foles. Honestly, Frank, he's not a rookie, man. Come on, man, he's not a rookie. He was drafted okay, in 2016. Okay. He was with the Redskins, and then he got waived. Okay, Did and he then, play? then and, and the Eagles signed him to the practice squad. I'm just making the point that you never know. You never know. Did he play? I mean, there were there was a point in time where there was a guy by the name of a uh, what? What's his name? A uh, Tom Brady? Uh, uh, a virtual okay, nobody. Okay, you're comparing Nate Sudfeld to Tom. Virtual well, a virtual nobody who was also a six round pick. And who would have? He thought, was not a virtual who, nobody. Who who who, who would have thought? Who would have thought? And he was what? And he played in the Big Ten. Who would have thought? That this guy would have taken over the epic and great Drew Bledsoe. Who would have thought? But he did. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying you never know. You never know. And if Nate Suffer looks better than, than uh, Nick Foles, then I would give him a shot. I absolutely would give him a shot. But like I said, I understand, Frank, and Foles you trust, but I do want to get more into the Eagles' defense. I think that's something that a lot of fans – have been worried about. Even though in this game, the Eagles defense was very good. They had one of the most dominant performances um, in the second half since 1999 where they forced uh, five turnovers. Five turnovers for the first time since they forced five turnovers in 99 against the then eventual Super Bowl champ St. Louis Rams at the vet. Because you look at Derek Carr's numbers, 15 for 29, 140 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and a 48.1 quarterback rating and throughout the entire game the Eagles defense they did a great job of keeping pressure on their car which forced those turnovers so I would say the Eagles defense did take a major step from how they played against 
the Giants from the prior week? Uh, yeah. I mean, Derek Carr's not Eli Manning. Um, did Crabtree even start last night? Yeah, uh, Crabtree played. Crabtree was shut out. Darby did a very good job against Crabtree. So, all right, Crabtree, solid Texas Tech product uh, out here in Clovis, New Mexico. I live about an hour and a half from Lubbock, so I've gone to a couple Texas Tech games since I've lived out here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you got Crabtree. Um, that's really about it. Marshawn Lynch, okay, he's he's kind of washed up. He should go back into retirement. Uh, yeah, I, Carr is not Eli. So basically the point I'm trying to make, Carr is not Eli Manning. Eli Manning, uh, two-time Super Bowl champion. Uh, yeah, he's turnover machine, but you got Sterling Shepard. You have Engram. Um, they, ha- they have a solid receiving core, even without Odell and uh, Brandon Marshall. Um, so – well, I, well, wait a second, Oakland, Frank. You Oakland, can't you can't bury Derek Carr like that. Derek Carr has suffered from injuries this year, but the year before that, Derek Carr was easily an MVP candidate. Twenty-eight touchdowns, only six interceptions, led the Raiders to a twelve and three record before he got hurt, and before he got hurt, obviously in the postseason they couldn't do much. They had to go through a third-string quarterback. Uh, so we look at. The fact that Derek Carr, he's having a bad year this year. But the Raiders, going into this game, I had some concerns because of all the weapons they have on the offensive end. Yes, Marshall Lynch is not the same beast mode. But even in this game, he still rushed for 94, 95 yards on 25 carries. They still have a very good tight end, Jared Cook, who can play in the slot, can play on the outside. He's a big, fast, speedy tight end. And then Crabtree and Amari Cooper, two guys who are road runners. I say that the Eagles defense played a very good job against uh, Raiders offense that has shown to be very explosive at times. At times? Yes, that's, which that's, tells me that's, that they're, that they're good. They're a good offense. You, that's it's just this year they've been off. <laughs> that's the point. At times, you know, they, they're not – they don't t- scare me. They well, don't at scare times, me. At times it means it can happen, but that's not the point. The point I'm making is the Eagles defense played very good. And I was, I was very impressed with uh, Chris Long's play. Chris Long oh, yeah. kept consistent pressure on uh, Derek Carr the whole game. He had the lone sack against him, despite the fact that he had that premature celebration during the, when the ball was still alive. He could have had a scoop and score, but Chris Long played very well. And it's really funny about Chris Long. He even said that he know he nobody blames his lack of focus on the fact that it was a live ball. He said he had too much Mountain Dew. And he apologized on Twitter for having too much Mountain Dew. And I know that the ongoing joke is that uh, Mountain Dew, it, it, dro- it drops your sperm count. But, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things where maybe Mountain Dew had an impact. Maybe Chris Long was a little too excited. I mean, what do you think, Frank? Do you think, do you think the Mountain Dew uh, threw him off a little bit? I mean, you know, uh, how much – it's got more caffeine than, like, Pepsi or Coke, right? Uh, yeah, probably. But, yeah, no, yeah. he, he was I, just – I think – he just had the passion. I I really think he is excited. He specifically said so. Obviously, he left the Patriots uh, after he won a Super Bowl with them last year, and everybody said, "Why are you going to the Eagles?" You know, it's a seven and nine team. They finished last in the division last year. Uh, why would you go to the Eagles? And he said, "Well, I feel like they have a lot of promise. Um, they are they're like one or two missing pieces away from being a true, real contender in the NFL." 
I mean, he called it. Nostradamus over here, he called it. You know, we're 13-2. and two. Uh, I think he's just excited. It, it's it's playoff. It's, it's almost playoff time. The Eagles fans were going nuts. It was a loud atmosphere. And uh, just like I, I don't agree with the uh, – he had a sack on Carr that was – I think the play was originally a third and nine. And he had that sack on Carr, but it got called back because they said he was offsides. I didn't agree with that call. I don't think he jumped. Uh, he jumped, but he didn't go over the line. There was no neutral zone infraction. There was no encroachment. Um, but I think I think just basically passion, excitement. Uh, we're getting to that time of year uh, for us football fans. We're in college, you know, it's bowl season, and we're getting to that NFL playoff time, and and that's when everybody's really excited and the emotions are high. Uh, the defense they had a couple blunders, but they really stepped up when it mattered, and that's what we're going to need when we go up against a lot more elite offenses uh, that we play here in the future. Right. And the thing about it is I do, I do want to talk a little bit more about that whole Mountain Dew incident because I've never heard anything like that before. And like the, obviously the ongoing joke is that it drops his per account, but you know, I was reading an article the other day and it it says that uh, even drinking 11, 12 ounce cans of Mountain Dew, even though it has that a similar effect, it would only drop. It would only slow down your sperm uh, motility. About that's about it. It would not kill your sperm. And if anything, it's more of a myth. I mean, unless you go uh, Princess Leia on us and you drink like 16 cans of soda a day, then it's not gonna really that kind of have an impact on you. Yeah, I mean, maybe he took some pre-workout, mixed that with Mountain Dew, you know, and had this cool concoction was made up it's like you know this is i can't use steroids you know i I can't use peds in football uh i'll get suspended for that so let me make my own concoction that can get me and go nuts you know some no explode mountain dew mix it up in the can and watch it explode watch me explode watch me explode (laughs) Uh, because i never i never understood how people can do that like i growing up as a kid i i love soda i was always more of a pepsi guy because it's, it's it's a little bit it's a lot sweeter. I love the sweet taste of a Pepsi, but I never drink. I can never see myself drinking that much. I mean, you might not believe it, but Carrie Fisher, the the person who played the late Carrie Fisher, who played Princess Leia, she drank sixteen cans of soda a day. Can you imagine I, Frank drinking sixteen no. cans of soda a day? What that's going to do to your body? <laughs> well, hey, to argue that, because uh, here on look at the film, like we said at the beginning of the show, we argue everything. Um, there was actually a lady, I don't know how long ago it was, she was in her hundreds or something like that. Um, she was getting up there in age. Let's just say she was seasoned. Um, she drinks Dr. Pepper, several cans of Dr. Pepper a day. And she has been doing it for years and years and years. And doctors were telling her, hey, you've got to stop. You've got to stop drinking this Dr. Pepper. It's probably all the preservatives, the caffeine, the sugar, everything that's in it is probably not good for your body. Well, I mean, everything's not great for your body. It's it's all about moderation. But you know what? She she makes this joke when they interviewed her. She said, uh, well, it's pretty funny. They tell me to stop drinking Dr. Pepper. Well, they're all dying, and I'm still here. Uh, but my, that, qu- my yeah, question but I was is gonna say, I was going to say about that before you go further, Fran. That's, that is really interesting because you find some people, they're the healthiest people in the world, yet they don't have as long of lives. And then you'll find someone who, who smokes a pack of cigarettes a day, and they're still here. You and, know? I mean – yeah, a lot of it has to do with genetics, but I, I like to make the joke. I'm 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 a drinker. I, I enjoy my beer. I enjoy my uh, my liquors and my liqueurs. Um, but it's pretty funny. 
Uh, there was just another lady too. She's in her hundreds, and they go, you know, how do you how'd you live this long? And she's like, you know, when I want to clear out my my intestines, you know, and kind of drain the system uh, on the toilet, I drink beer. Uh, you know, when she's sick, she drinks this type of liquor. It's it's actually pretty funny. But the quick question I want to have before we move on with uh, Chris Long. In his tweet, he says, I sincerely apologize to the city of Philadelphia for running away from a live ball. I was a bit confused as to there being a live ball. Obviously glad we could get off the field. Thanks for bringing it. Fans ugly win over a pretty loss. Uh, is he drinking Mountain Dew on the sideline? Like he blames it on Mountain Dew. But, I mean, what, it's just a three, four-hour game. Did, how many Mountain Dews did he have in the locker room? Or did, I want to say the thing. My guess is uh, 16 cans. That's my guess. <laughs> 16 can. I'm gonna he say he, he wouldn't put this lay on us. He just drank 16 yeah. cans. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, you know, when the uh, the water boys or whatever come over and they squirt squirt the Gatorade bottle into the players' mouths and they typically spit it out because they just want to moisturize their mouth. I bet he told one of those water boys, like, "You're not a water boy anymore. You're a Mountain Dew boy. I, fill me <laughs> up with that. Fill me up with that Mountain Dew while we're playing." Oh yeah, brother. You gotta get some of that Mountain Dew in your body. You gotta get that Not in your better. veins. That's how it's gotta be, just so that yeah. you can so that you can play at a higher level. It's like it's like the the modern day of what pickle juice was for the Eagles, like in the early '90s. You remember that time in the early '90s yeah. where Cowboys Eagles, came. Yeah, the Eagles were struggling, and then all of a sudden they had this pickle juice, and it became like this phenomenon, like pickle juice before games. Like it helps you focus. And I think Mountain Dew. A lot of people I know. A lot of people Mountain Dew is an alternative for them. They don't want to drink coffee. So I mean, hey, it might it might just work for uh, for players, and I think maybe more players should be taking a taking a, a page out of uh, Chris Long's book and start drinking uh, sixteen cans of. I know we're we're alleging this; it's all alleged. You know, some alleged. drinking some uh, sixteen cans of Mountain Dew every day, or before I'm games, partial, I think. I'm partial to energy drinks, uh, you know, because I want to unleash the beast with Monster. Um, oh, likewise. Yeah, before we do a podcast. No, I, I agree with you. Like I said, I don't do energy drinks. I don't do the monsters. I don't do any of that. I feel like it's just it's too much electricity in one drink. But aside from Chris Long, I do want to talk more also about um, the Eagles secondary. Uh, it's been going on and on about the Eagles secondary, how they've been struggling the last several games against the Seahawks, against the Rams, against the Giants. And then finally, they played decent. Obviously, Cooper burnt Jalen Mills on a double move, a slant go route. For 63 yards, but Cooper only finished with three receptions for 66 yards. So as a whole, they play well. I would say the secondary play well, even though I've been very tough on Jalen Mills because I think at times he's too aggressive of a corner. He's the type of cornerback that likes to press and jam at the line of scrimmage. He likes to attack receivers at a point. And sometimes he bites on those slant routes, and I'm noticing that more Offensive coordinators are noticing that, so they're going to do more double moves. So I really expect it's Mills and Darby. They're similar corners that they're aggressive. They're aggressive corners. It's high reward, high reward, high. I mean, it's a high. I mean, it's one of those things where when you look at them, at times they just they're too aggressive. But I do like how they play in this game. I like how they played too. Um, but I've been critical of, of Jalen Mills. Uh, I believe. Last year, he was kind of thrown into the fire after he was drafted, uh, going up against um, – he was drafted last year, right? Yeah. Uh, he was kind of thrown in the fire uh, as a rookie going up against, you know, number one receivers. Uh, he is aggressive. Uh, Darby Darby has a lot of stupid penalties uh, that – I mean, he plays the ball well. Obviously, he has a couple picks since he's been back. Uh, 
since he came back uh, in Dallas, he's had several picks. Um, I just I think they both kind of make dumb dumb decisions. Uh, you know, Darby plays the ball well, but then he's yanking on arms and yanking on jerseys. He's getting called for illegal contact. He's getting called for holding before the throw. Uh, Jalen Mills, you know, he gets burnt this year. I my question is why aren't we why when Darby came back are we going to get rid of and we're going to put back on the bench Rizul Douglas. Douglas, I just think, is overall better than at least, at a minimum, Jalen Mills. Uh, but Malcolm Jenkins, you know, he's kind of that the captain, the general there in the secondary. McLeod's solid. But, you know, eh. well, I, Patrick I, I Robinson's been you. doing decent, too. Yeah, well, I agree with you, Frank. I'm not that big on the Eagles secondary. Anybody who knows me, I'm not big on them. But I will give them credit. Jalen Mills no. played well. But Jalen Mills has not been tested and to the last three games, earlier in the season, the Eagles had a cupcake schedule. Blueberry muffin, cupcake uh, schedule. The secondary wasn't no. challenged. They were not challenged except for the <laughs> Giants game. <laughs> the Giants game where they had Odell and Marshall and Shepard and they went off earlier in the season. Everybody remembers that, but he was not tested. And everybody was saying that Mills is a true number one cornerback. He can handle the corner, the number one responsibilities. But what I was trying to say earlier is that they're they're high risk, high reward type cornerbacks, and they can't handle it. Darby played well, but as you mentioned, sometimes he's too aggressive. He he did bite on that double move against Jared Cook against the Raiders, which led to a penalty. And yes, Patrick Robinson had that pretty clutch interception underneath, and Darby ultimately had that interception that led to the game-winning field goal kick by uh, Elliott. I will give him that. And the Eagles secondary did hold the Raiders, mostly because of that pass rush. But this Eagles defense, as they get further into the postseason play, they will be challenged against those higher-up offenses, such as the Seahawks, Falcons. We don't know who's going to make it between those two, but we know the Saints, the Rams, those are two locks of uh, offensive talented teams that will they will beat you through the air. And that secondary is going to have to be ready. But I'm with you. Rasul Douglas should get more playing time. In fact, if I had it my way, I would get Sidney Jones off of the practice squad and get him into the game. Doug Peterson said that they're earlier in a press conference. He said there's a chance that Sidney Jones might play. And this guy coming out of the draft, he was a top 10 talent. He tore his Achilles, so he dropped all the way to the second round. However, I would put Sidney Jones on the right, and then I would put Rasul Douglas on the left, and then I would put Darby in the slot, and I would put Jalen Mills in the dime packages. That's what I would do. Uh, and I want to, I want to bring up a point you just, you actually just made, uh, a little bit ago when you talked about the D line, uh, I'm not, I'm going to disagree with the cupcake schedule. Obviously everybody says cupcake, cupcake schedule, blueberry muffin based off of the team's current records at that time when they beat Denver, Denver had just, Denver was looking like they, they could potentially be competing with Kansas City for the West. Oh, stop uh, it. Stop it, Frank. Uh, stop it, Frank. Denver was on a losing streak. They beat the Cowboys. They were on a losing streak. It doesn't matter. They still had a, a top-tier defense. Um, you look at, okay, Dallas had a winning record when we beat them. Um, obviously, we beat Carolina. We beat L.A. We beat team... Uh, L.A. Chargers. Sorry, I was about to say San Diego. L.A. Chargers came out of nowhere after you know, they had lost a couple close games. These weren't 
cupcake teams they played. They weren't playing the Cleveland Browns every single game. Uh, that, uh, New York was 0-2 when we beat them. I mean, it took a 61-yarder, but we beat them when they still had Odell, Ingram, uh, Sterling Shepard. But the point I'm trying to make uh, is based off the point you had just previously said, I think our secondary this year has been bailed out a lot because of the defensive line. Uh, if the defensive line can't get to the quarterback, if the defensive line allows the quarterback to sit in the pocket for so long, uh, our secondary, that the quarterback's going to go through his progressions, right? His throwing progressions. He's going to look at all of his targets. His number one is number two. Okay, cool. Boom. He's going to find someone. He may dink and dunk or he may, our secondary may get burnt. But basically the point is our secondary is nothing without that defensive line. Right. Um, well, Frank, all I was trying to get across is that when you look at that schedule, obviously there's teams on that schedule who are better now than they were then. You look at the the um that happens. The Panthers obviously are better now. You look at the 49ers, they're on a win streak. The way out Jimmy Garoppolo has been playing with that 49ers team, they've been incredible. You look at the Chargers, they were playing better after the Eagles beat them. Uh but I'm looking more at the fact that at that schedule the receivers that they went against, they weren't really their offenses weren't that potent. They weren't that explosive. Really? When you look at that, you look at the fact that they beat a Chargers offense that was struggling, the Cardinals, they they didn't get much through the air. You look at the fact the Panthers, they didn't get much through the air. Uh I look at the Redskins, they've been up and down. They don't really have a they only have a receiver on their team that's over six hundred yards receiving. The 49ers, you already know what's going on with that. Obviously it's been a revolving door of Broncos quarterbacks. And as you mentioned before, they play against a Cowboys team without Zeke Elliott. So I'm just making the point that the Eagles secondary, I'm not talking about the teams they played against as a whole. I'm just talking about the opposing offenses they went against. They weren't really tested until the last few weeks. Uh, you look at the Seahawks, the Rams, and the Giants. They've all tested that Eagles secondary. And, of course, in week two, or I mean week three against the Giants when they still had Odell. And then you could say week two against the Chiefs, they were tested. But outside that, they weren't really tested. So you that's think... what I'm trying to say. The Eagles secondary, they need to be tested. They need to. They you... need to be tested and show me that they can play well against a high-octane offense. And they have not showed that yet. So you're going to tell me they weren't tested against uh, future Hall of Famer and Larry Fitzgerald when they played the Cardinals. You're going to tell me they weren't tested – uh, when they played uh, the Broncos and Demarius Thomas, you're gonna but tell see, me they Frank, weren't tested. Stop there! Just stop there! You're naming those all are, teams. Those are those are Frank. Top, Frank, you're looking at all. Receivers. You're looking. You're looking at all teams to have bad offenses. So hold the phone there. How about you look you're, it up? How about you look up their total yards in offense and then come back to me? Because I'll tell you right now, they're at the bottom tier. Larry Fitzgerald's a Hall of Famer, but their offense is not good. Demarius Thomas is an All Pro receiver. But his court, he has, he's been thrown to by three different quarterbacks. Name an offense that's a top-tier offense. And then get back to me. Look at the okay. film, Frank. You don't look at the film. I See, I look at the film. I'm looking at the film. And those teams have solid offenses. They're not good offenses, though. That's what we're talking about. Uh, High-octane hey. offenses. The Rams, the Saints. We beat those the Rams. type of teams. I'm talking about they didn't play well defensively. Their defense did not play well. That's what I'm trying to say. Name top tier offenses. We're where not talking Eagles about have been challenged. They have not been. So like I said I get it. Look at it later though, Frank. I said I understand you don't want to look at it right now. You want to talk about you know <laughs> historical players that play well in the past. But I'm looking at this season. I'm looking at this season too. Just because they're not doing well, they're not performing well. 
you're, it, it, it can't take away from the fact that these receivers are top receivers. They're top receivers in the game. Statistically, this year, maybe no. But historically, statistically over their careers, yes. These are top receivers that could still make big plays on you. Well, I'm looking right now, Frank. I got it right now. I got it right now. Arizona Cardinals, they're ranked 22nd in total offense. And then you look at the Denver Broncos, they're ranked 19th in total offense. Or look at the Oakland Raiders, they're ranked 19th in total offense. So they haven't really been tested yet. That's all I'm trying to say where they play well. The times that they have been tested, they have not performed well. That's all I'm getting across, and why I, I really do want to get back into the, the Raiders and Eagles game more so and talk more about the defensive line. Uh, I think the defensive line, they struggled against Marshawn Lynch. Marshall Lynch had 25 carries, 95 yards, and granted, the Raiders have three offensive linemen that are Pro Bowl players, but Fletcher Cox only had two tackles, and to me, someone who's making $102 million through six years and has $63 million Guaranteed contract. He needs to perform at a higher level. Five and a half sacks, 15 tackles, and and one forced fumble through 13 games is not enough for a guy who's making $63 million guaranteed. That's not enough. Uh, I mean, the, the real, I guess the real heroes of that defensive line, I mean, is Brandon Graham. But nine and a half sacks this year. Uh, he Brandon Graham is that defensive line, um, and it's a. But you also got to think it's a rotating door of linemen. Uh, Vinny Curry, Tim Jernigan, Chris Long, uh, Derek Barnett is proving to be a a really great first round pick. Um, obviously, everyone knows he broke Reggie White uh, Reggie White sack record in Tennessee. So that revolving door, I get it, money, okay. But Fletcher Cox is still a top ten elite defensive lineman. He's he going back to the pro. Uh, he's going to the Pro Bowl this year, second straight year. Um, so he's still good. He's still a threat. He can still get after the quarterback. But the point is, it's just the real heroes and, and the real studs on that defensive line right now. The real stud is going to be Brandon Graham. Yeah. Well, like I said, I I understand. That Fletcher Cox, he does have a huge impact. It's not always based off the numbers. You look at the Eagles right now. This year, they are the number one run-stopping defense in NFL, only getting up 75 yards per game on the ground. It just surprised me that Marshawn Lentz, he just ran through the teeth of that defense. And I just expect that if Fletcher Cox is getting paid money like Von Miller, then he should be getting at least 10 sacks every year. I get he's an interior lineman, whereas Von Miller is an edge rusher, but I still think that he should be getting more sacks. And I expect more from a guy who's getting paid $63 million guaranteed to get more <laughs> than one tackle or two tackles he had in a game. So, but uh, I do, but I also, I also was going to say, what were you going to say though? No, 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 it's fine. Uh, it, it, you got to give it time. I mean, yeah. he's, he's still been doing it. He's still had a semi-decent season, so. But I was going to say, speaking but, you, uh, mentioned, you mentioned Derek Barnett. And speaking of Derek Barnett, that whole scoop and score, he left a lot of people in Vegas and fantasy football owners very unhappy. Because after he got that scoop and score, <laughs> the Eagles, they had an eight and a half line. And anybody, and people just made that line. The Eagles won 19 to 10. And then there was fantasy football players who thought they had the game won. 
whatever money that they betted for the whole entire season, they lost it in a matter of seconds. It was very reminiscent of when Justin Houston had that scoop and score for the Chiefs in week four against the Redskins. Uh, for, the, for the Chiefs, they had a spread of a, a six-and-a-half point favorite against the Redskins. They ended up winning that game 29-10. to 10. And in fact, Justin Houston's scoop and score, he, he won one gambler $100,000. Can you imagine that? $100,000. I wish. Off off a scoop and score that was basically like a garbage time scoop and score. Had no meaning other than for people in Vegas or bookies or people that are betting on that game. Can you imagine that? No, I mean, I wish. I I (laughs) wish tomorrow I could say, I was like, I'm going to go ahead betting on this game. And the next thing I know, hey, bro, we're paying you out 100 grand. I'd quit my job. I mean, I can't. (laughs) I can't legally quit quit my current job. Um, oh, yeah. For all of you, those of you listening, I'm in the military, so I can't legally quit or I go to jail. Uh, that's a joke. <laughs> I wouldn't go to – whatever. But that's not the point. No, I would love $100,000. And uh, I mean, it would be amazing. awesome. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. No, it would be. And it's just amazing how frequently it's been happening. It's been happening this year more than other years. It's just these late scoop and score fumble recoveries because everybody tries to do – all these laterals towards the end of the game when the game is virtually over. It's just it's just very interesting how that happens. Um, but no, it was definitely a fun ending to the game on Christmas Day and Christmas night. And that was a great way for the Eagles to, to end the game. But overall, I think the Eagles the Eagles did play dominant despite a couple of, despite that big play to Cooper. And I really do hope that Sidney Jones he gets those he continues to get those reps. And that he does get time on the field against the Cowboys. I really think against a finale, he should get some time. Doug Pearson said that he will not rule out activating the rookie, Sidney Jones. So we'll see. I think it'll be very interesting. Um, but coming up, I mean, we do need to take a pause for the calls. Coming up, we will be talking about uh, Carson Wentz and Tom Brady and how a very infamous sports personality said that Carson Wentz would be lucky to be 5-11 and 11 on the Patriots team if he was on that team all season long. We'll be right back on Look at the Film in just a few moments. If you have any questions or comments for Brent and Frank, then shoot an email to lookatthefilmpodcast at gmail.com. Best questions and comments will be included in future episodes. Welcome back to Look at the Film, the pod of rants, fun, and real. And we were just talking earlier about the Eagles and how Deeps has played. Will Sidney Jones get any reps against the Cowboys in the finale? But before in the commercial break, I brought up the fact that a certain personality was comparing Carson Wentz to Tom Brady. It has some choice words about Carson Wentz. And what he said it was Skip Bayless. He tweeted out that if Carson Wentz have been the quarterback of this Patriots team all season. They would be lucky to be 5-11, and which Belichick was the season before Bledsoe got hurt, and he hit the lottery with a six-rounder named Tom Brady. So, obviously, Skip Bayless, he's, he's notorious for getting a reaction out of people. He claims that Wentz would be 5-11 with the Patriots this season. And, quite frankly, he's suggesting that he would take Wentz, I mean, he would take Brady as MVP over Wentz. 
So I got two questions for you, Frank. Do you Frank? Do you think that Carson Wentz will be five eleven with the Patriots team this season? And who do you think's more of the MVP this year, Brady or Wentz? Um, I I don't think Carson Wentz would uh, go five and eleven uh, with this current uh, uh, Patriots lineup. So some st- uh, statistics here for you, Brent. Um, the Patriots' leading receiver is Rob Ron- Rob Gronkowski with 1,084 yards. The Eagles' leading receiver is Zach Ertz with 800 yards. The Patriots' leading rusher is Deion Lewis with 803 yards, 104 attempts. The Eagles' leading rusher is LeGarrette Blunt, who has 729 yards, 164 attempts. So ultimately, the Patriots' offense and the talent that they have surrounding them this year, uh, Brady's obviously performing well like he does every year. He's not human. But Carson Wentz, more touchdowns, better passer rating. Uh, pretty sure he had less interceptions. Um, so, to see, yeah, he has one less interception. Uh, mind you, Carson Wentz is still leading the league in touchdown passes, and he hasn't played for three games. So, I mean, Carson Wentz easily would have hit 40-some-odd yards. The point I'm trying to make is that Carson Wentz did more this year with less, and to say that if you put Carson Wentz on that squad this year in New England, he's they're going to be 5-11? and 11? No, that that's absolutely ridiculous. And I'm going to be a Philly homer right now and say that Carson Wentz is the MVP over Brady, but obviously Carson Wentz isn't going to win it due to the fact that he did get injured. His season's over. He hasn't played the last three games. He's not, he's not going to play the last game of the season, and he's not going to the playoffs. Uh, but my honest choice for MVP, if I had a choice right now, it's going to be Russell Wilson because he still has Seattle in, in playoff talks, and Russell Wilson is that entire team. Well, well, Frank, hold, wait a second, wait a second. See, I do agree with you that Carson Wentz would not be 5'11 with the Patriots this season. Belichick would never have a year of 5'11 with Carson Wentz. Never, ever. He would find a way to get it done. And obviously, Carson Wentz is playing at, he was playing at an elite level before his tour's ACL. Now, when it comes to MVP, even if Carson Wentz never got hurt, I still would say Tom Brady would be the MVP. Tom Brady's having a better year. He was having a better year than Carson Wentz before Carson Wentz got hurt. First of all, you look at the stats. Yes, Carson Wentz had more touchdown, has more touchdown passes, 33 touchdowns, only six interceptions. But the yards, only before he got hurt, through 13 games, obviously Carson Wentz was incredible, 11 and 2 record, but he only had 3,000. 296 yards passing and only completed 60% of his passes in 13 games. Sure, he had 101 quarterback rating, but to me, and this one thing has not get brought up enough, completing only 60% of your passes and you're supposed to be an MVP type candidate, that's not very good. The touchdowns are good. The touchdown reception ratio is good, but the completion percentage is not good. Whereas Tom Brady, 30 touchdowns, only 8 interceptions, 4,387 yards passing, completing 67.5% of his passes through 15 games. And he does, Frank, correction, he does have a higher quarterback rating than Wentz at 104.2 quarterback rating with a 12-3 and record. Granted, 
Brady has played more games, but also look at the strength of schedule. Carson with the strength of schedule was not as good. He had that loss against the Chiefs, beat the Panthers, lost to the Seahawks, and then beat the Rams. Those are four teams that are with winning records. However, you look at the Patriots, they, they played against the Chiefs, they lost, they beat the Saints, they beat the Houston Texans when they had Deshaun Watson, which was an absolute shootout. They lost to the Panthers, they beat the Falcons, and they beat the Steelers. Now, yes, I know they had that bad loss to the Dolphins, but look as a whole, the Patriots had a tougher schedule, and Tom Brady across the board has better numbers outside Obviously, the touchdown to interception ratio, but the yards and the completion percentage was a lot higher than Carson Wentz before Carson Wentz even got hurt. Uh, one thing you got to take into effect, too, is Tom Brady is a pa- uh, pocket passer. Carson Wentz also made a lot more plays with his, his feet. Uh, he can get out of trouble. Uh, better than Tom Brady can. So a lot of those numbers are going to be skewed passing yards specifically because there were a lot of plays that Carson Wentz extended with his feet rather than throwing. He, I mean, in, against uh, Washington Redskins on Monday Night Football, I don't even still to this day do not know how he did not get sacked when he came out of a big pile and ran for uh, 15 yards or so. Um, so Carson Wentz, just overall body of work, okay, statistics, yards, completion percentage might not be on that same level as Tom Brady, but Carson Wentz is he, – he, the team is – Pretty much, he puts the team on his back, right? Well, well and, Frank, uh, Frank, how do you explain the 60% completion of his passes? How do you explain that? 60 to 67, that's a pretty big gap. Yeah, it drops. Uh, I mean, no, if, it's if, not drops. If you watch the film, that's why I tell people to look at the film. Carson Winston did miss a lot of deep passes this year. Yeah, okay. How many deep passes did has Tom Brady thrown this year? Let's, uh, he's completing 67% of his passes. Okay, but let's look up. Uh, that 67% of your passes could be a two-yard pass, your running back. No, takes I'm looking at the yards. whole. I'm looking at the whole yeah. picture, and he's thrown a lot of beautiful yeah, passes to Brandon Cooks. A lot of beautiful passes to Brandon Cooks and Chris Hogan and Danny Amendola and uh, Rob Gronkowski. He has spread the ball around, and he's throwing the ball deep. Tom Brady still has a deep, strong arm. They weren't just dink and dunks. Okay, what is? I no, 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 no. I. What, what stats are the do you have? What stats do you have? Twenty What's... or more yard passes. That's for you to find out, Frank. Uh, tell me. No, you tell me. <laughs> I'm tell telling me. you right. I'm telling you. That's not for me to tell. I just gave you my stat. You're making that argument. I just are gave you the really, argument. Are you really right going to argue? Sixty-seven percent of his passes are completed. You're trying to make the whole argument. Oh well, he hasn't shown that he can throw deep, and I've showed you that he has been able to throw deep to Brandon Cooks. He's throwing a lot of deep passes to Brandon Cooks. I'm looking I'm looking at it right now. You look at the stats. This year, he's throwing a long of 64-yard pass this year. So for you to say he hasn't been throwing okay, deep passes, is that, that's crazy. Is that a deep pass or is that, hey, I'm going to dump it, it was. off to it Brandon, was to Brandon Cooks five it was yards, a deep, and then he's going to – It was a deep pass to Brandon Cooks. Look, look at the film. It was a deep pass to Brandon Cooks. You don't even know. You don't even know. That's the thing that's funny about I, it. I don't know. You don't know. You're just you're just speculating because you don't know. No, not at all. I just told you. Not you at all. Deep, I just told you you threw a 64 yard oh, at one. Cooks. One. One. But okay. One. So Carson it, it doesn't, Carson it doesn't, hit Torrey Smith, Nelson Aguilar, Alshon Jeffrey. 
He's that's hit that great, pretty, but it's but his Matt completion Collins. percentage is not good. His completion percentage is not good. That's the whole argument I'm making. Okay, that doesn't mean anything. It really it does doesn't mean something. If, if someone's completing sixty percent of his passes for sixty-seven percent of his passes, that means a lot. How can you say it doesn't mean no, anything? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Okay, well, clearly, because that, clearly, clearly okay. you're not a quarterback guru. Three, you don't understand quarterback it. guru. Okay, so he overthrows a couple players, whatever, cool. They have a couple drops, fine and dandy. Overall, Carson taking out passing t- statistics, Carson is more of the a team than Tom Brady is. He does it with his legs. He does it with his arm. He can escape sacks. Tom Brady's not that mobile. Tom Brady's never been that athletic in his, in his entire career. So It doesn't matter. Carson, Tom Brady and, has five and, Super Bowls. It doesn't matter. The quarterback's job is not to be okay. athletic and run downfield. His job is to be able to pass the it ball. Is. That's the job of the quarterback. And when I'm looking at the stats, Tom Brady overall has better stats, hence the reason why he has a better quarterback rating. You 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 didn't even know what his quarterback rating was. You said he you said that Carson Wentz had a higher quarterback rating when he does not. He has a hundred and one point nine quarterback rating. Whereas I meant Brady QBR. has hundred and four. I correct myself, QBR. Okay, but you said quarterback rating. So I'm just correcting you that Brady has a higher quarterback rating, and that's yes, what we're going by. I correct myself. Which tells me that he is having a better year. If you want more social media content from Brent Uferi and Bomb and Frank Graybars the third, then follow Brent on Instagram and on the Twitter at Brent C Bomb. Bomb is B-A-U-M. And Frank on the Twitter at Frankie Philly89. Moving forward, do want to look more into Eagles in the postseason. And I got obviously a lot of fans have, a, have questions out there. They have some questions. Can Nick Foles, do you really think, do you think Nick Foles will take the Eagles to Super Bowl 52 at the U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota? Do you think he can get it done? Uh, yes, because I have P-H-I-P-H-A-I-T-H. Uh, um, no, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's times I'm sitting here going – Eh, Nick Foles, ooh, ugly throw, Nick. Oh, 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 geez. Well, we're gonna look bad. Um, but no, I still uh, under Doug Peterson's leadership. Couple more games to mesh. I mean, one more game to mesh. Um, I really think Nick Foles can get it done. I think it, I, he could get it done. It, it's all gonna, in my eyes, it's all gonna surround uh, on that Eagles secondary. Eagles secondary is gonna make or break this team. Okay, let's see. Yeah, well, the thing about the thing about I look at it this way. This is how I look at it. Okay, Nick Foles to me, if if he had a little more confidence in his deep passing, it can get all Sean Jeffrey and Torrey Smith involved in a game and doesn't just check down to Ertz or to running backs. Then I would have more confidence in Nick Foles to take this team to the postseason because, as we've talked about earlier, so defense for the most part this year have they have been dominant. The pass defense not so much, but you look at the fact that they're number one in run stopping defense. And the defense has been pretty consistent for the most part up until the last four games. So the answer to that question, I just don't think it's going to get done. I, I just don't trust the fool's gold. I was never on board with the fool's gold. Nick Foles, even after that 27-touchdown, 27, 27 two-interception game, I mean season in 2013, I still don't have enough confidence in him. So the answer to that question, no, I do not think that, that uh, Nick Foles will get it done. I do think that there is a lot more tougher competition come postseason play, and we will see much more into that. Because uh, I really want to look at also, like, where, but aside from Nick Foles, where are some other concerns you have about this Eagles team? 
uh, Doug Peterson's play calling. Um, why abandon the run? You got JJ and LeGarrette Blunt, Corey Clement. Um, got to break it up better, uh, passing and rushing. Uh, so his his play calling, he's stubborn like Andy Reid, and I and I really don't want that to I don't want Doug Peterson to become the next Andy Reid. So Andy Reid won all these, coached all these great wins for the Eagles, four straight conference championships, uh, two sorry four straight games played in the conference championship, one Super Bowl appearance. Andy Reid chokes when it uh, when it matters most. His play calling, his his time management. Uh, Look what it will uh, look what's happening over in Kansas City right now. Um, so Doug Peterson's play calling big for me. Uh, time management isn't an issue with him, and then our secondary. So those two things are, are kind of more what I worry about. Uh, it, what is going to cause this team to either win or lose? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I like Doug Peterson's aggressiveness on fourth downs. You saw against the Raiders, he was two for two on fourth downs. I do agree with you that Doug Peterson should incorporate the run a lot more. I never was a big fan of the three running back rotation with Clement, Ajayi, and Blunt. I think that Jay Ajayi should get at least 20 carries. I think you've got to ride the J train. Ride the J train. This guy had back-to-back 200-yard rushing games last year with the Dolphins. He truly was the MVP of that team. He rushed his way to the postseason for the Dolphins. You saw last night he had that. Uh, 17 yard reception for a touchdown. I think JJ is a lot better at catching the ball than what people give him credit for. But not too worried about Doug Peterson. I think Doug Peterson, even though he's he's gotten a lot of criticism this year, I think he's done a great job. He in mind, he has led this Eagles team as the coach. Oh yes, to a 13 and two record, and more than anything, he's really taken Carson Wentz to the next level before he got hurt. He really evolved. Ham and Frank Reich have really evolved Carson Wentz to that elite level of quarterback because they're two former backup quarterbacks. Reich was with the Bills, who had that infamous greatest comeback of all time against the Houston Oilers. And then uh, Doug Peterson was a backup quarterback behind Brett Favre for many years. And he learned under the, the tutelage of Andy Reid. So I'm not too concerned about that. But the answer to your question, obviously, to me is Nick Fools, Nick Foles, excuse me. Nick the quick, quick to throw another pick six. I'm worried about him. Uh, I don't think he's going to be able to throw deep passes to the receivers. I think that eventually teams are just going to continue to play play the Eagles, um, loading up the box, putting eight men in the box, uh, playing the run, playing underneath routes, uh, and also the secondary. I still think that they need to start Sidney Jones. They need to start Rasul Douglas, the young guns. I think they need to start them. And the past defense, they still have not fixed a problem. And unless Sidney Jones ends up being that top 10 type caliber of a player that everybody hopes that and thinks he will be, the Eagles secondary is going to get roasted come postseason. They're going to get roasted like some marshmallows. It's, it's not even going to be close. And that's what really breaks me into the, the, next, the next teams I feel like pose the biggest threat for the Eagles team. Uh, you look at the Eagles in the postseason. They they might play against the Saints. They got the Saints, Vikings, Rams, Falcons, Panthers, Seahawks. Obviously, the Falcons and Seahawks are fighting for that last playoff spot, both 9-6. and six. But those are a lot of explosive offensive teams. So, Frank, when we look at the NFC, which NFC teams pose the biggest threat to the Eagles? Uh, number one is going to be the New Orleans Saints. Uh you got a Super Bowl winning quarterback in Drew Brees. He's been there before. Uh, he's what now fourth all fourth all time uh, on 
passing yards. Uh, it just reached what seven. Uh, sorry, I, I'm mistaken, but it, he, he just reached behind Brett Favre, uh, Peyton Manning. Uh, he's he's an experienced quarterback. He's a veteran. Uh, he's been there. He's done it before. He's beaten us in the playoffs in New Orleans and in Philadelphia before. Uh, they're two-headed monster running backs. Holy moly. Holy moly. Two 1,000-yard rushers. Uh, their offense scares me, especially against our secondary. Their offense scares me. And then they have a defense to boot. They, oh, yeah, they no, have that I agree defense. with you. So uh, New Orleans, number one, is probably the biggest, scary, uh, the scariest threat to the Eagles. Uh, they're the team that scared me the most. After them, I would probably have to say uh, Atlanta with Julio Jones, uh, Matt Ryan. Um, and they, they were there in the Super Bowl last year. And they are still the reigning NFC champs uh, until they're dethroned. So I think Atlanta gets in. Uh, you're going to have three NFC South teams in, so – uh, after Atlanta, I'm, I'm scared of, uh, Carolina again, because of the experience Carolina has been there before Cam Newton's been to a super bowl. Uh, even though we did beat them this year, um, they have a solid defense with Luke Keekley. Um, uh, so Greg Olson is their tight end. Uh, Funchess, you know, he's, he's kind of like that, the speedy Sterling shepherd, you know, it's going to burn our secondary. Uh, so, the three NFC South teams are going to be the, the top three that scare me the most. After that, Seattle. But I don't think Seattle is going to win coming into Philly, especially. Their offense is all – you shut down Russell Wilson, you shut down the Seattle Seahawks. Um, yeah. And well, then also uh, Minnesota doesn't Minnesota doesn't scare me. Well, yeah. I think that this NFC has been probably one of the strongest conferences I've seen in a long time. Usually it's the AFC that's been dominant. But you look over the AFC, it's mostly just the Patriots and the Steelers. Those two teams will probably see each other in the AFC Championship game. They both have first-round buys. But for the Eagles, the two teams, I think, pose the biggest threat for them. Uh, is the Saints, of course, for the reasons that you mentioned, the Rams. Uh, looking at the Saints, as you mentioned, Drew Brees, he's an MVP-type mm. quarterback. He's very explosive. He's got a lot of white weapons, like Michael Thomas, a big 6'3 receiver, large catching radius. The two-headed monster between Kimura and Ingram, they can both catch the ball in the backfield and run the ball through the teeth of opposing defenses. And you notice the Eagles really struggle. Their defense really struggles against uh, versatile running backs who can play in the slot and attack the slot and nickel cornerbacks, the nickel cornerbacks and the safeties and those seams. That's where they really struggle the most against. And the Saints, it's no longer just uh, Drew Brees, Sean Payton, offensive show. They have a lot of good defensive players. You look at what Lattimore is doing. Marshawn Lattimore is having an elite-type level as a, just as a rookie cornerback. They put a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. You look at Cameron Jordan, Rankins, and even Manti Tell as a linebacker. He's having a very good year. So I think the, the Saints, because they have experience, Drew Brees, even though his numbers aren't there, but they are a running team. The fact that they're a running team for the first time under the Sean Payton era just imagine how they are when they when they have to really pass the ball. So that Saints team creates the most problems offensively and defensively. And then the Rams. I think the Rams are the next team because I am very big on Jared Goff. The bounce back year he's had under Sean McVay. Sean McVay is a, the youngest coach ever, 33 years young. He's the type of coach I think everybody loves playing for. He's not just a head coach. He's an offensive coordinator. What he has done with that team. And Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley has been an absolute monster. Leads the NFL 19 touchdowns, 1,300 yards rushing, uh, just under 700 yards receiving. 
Six receiving uh, touchdowns, 13 rushing touchdowns. Todd Gurley has been not only just a monster during the regular season, but a fantasy monster. An absolute fantasy monster. He's the reason why, Frank. He's the reason why I won fantasy football this year. Because of Todd Gurley. He's, he's been that dominant. I single-handedly won because of Todd Gurley. And you look at what, what uh, Goff also is doing with his receivers. He has good chemistry with Cooper Cup. And Robert Woods, he's starting to look like the way he, the type of player he was at USC. They still got Sammy Watkins, too. A lot of people forget about him. And I just love the way how they play the game of football. And you look at their defense. Wade Phillips is one of the best defensive coordinators of all time. What he has done with that defense, anchored by Donald and uh, Alec Ogletree. That Rams defense, I think, both ends. Of course, at times, their secondary gets... Um, tested but aside from that i like the rams they're a young team they're explosive and against the eagles since the eagles have shown that they've struggled at times against explosive running backs and against the pass because you know when the eagles played against the rams you know the eagles beat the the rams nla but it was still a very close game and they don't have carson Wentz this time around so those are the teams i got okay i mean uh, see when it comes to rams we did beat them we beat them in LA. You got this is a West Coast team that could potentially come to Philadelphia playing the freezing cold weather. Yeah, Todd Gurley ran all over the Eagles defense. Cool. Ooh, yeah, you know what? Hey, here comes that Liberty Bell. Yay, Todd Gurley, you did well against the Eagles, but your team ultimately <laughs> lost. And at the end of the day, that that's really the only thing that matters. Uh Todd Gurley is scary good. All right. So he helped you win your fantasy league. He helped my buddy here uh win his fantasy league. So Todd Gurley scares me, but overall their defense doesn't scare me. Overall, the just New Orleans Saints—they're just the per- they're just like the complete package on both sides of the ball, uh, and they're the probably the biggest threat. And I'm going to go ahead and throw out a prediction. Uh, I'm going to say Eagles Saints NFC Championship in Philadelphia. Yeah, well, I I mean, like I said, I agree. I for my first tier, I have the Saints number one. Saints are one, Rams are one A, just for the reasons that you explained. I think the Saints. Defensively, they have been elite. They did a great job against the Falcons this past Sunday. Uh, Julio Jones still had a big game, but they really helped. They really held that Falcons offense in check. And it's very interesting with the NFC South how how dominant they have been. You have the Saints, yeah. the, the Panthers, they're locks, but the Falcons—they're not quite in the postseason yet. They still have to win the next game. Uh, you look at the the, the, um, the Falcons and the Seahawks; they're both nine and six. They're both fighting for that last wild card spot in the NFC. And, of course, the, Pan- the Falcons play against the Panthers this Sunday at home. Uh, the Falcons are a three-and-a-half favorite to win. And you look at the Seahawks. They're a huge favorite uh, to, to beat the Cardinals at home. However, if the Falcons win, they're in because the Falcons uh, beat the Seahawks in a Week 11, 34-31. So the Falcons just have to win against the Panthers. And obviously that's a tough task because the Panthers have one of the top-rated – defenses in NFL so we look at those two teams Falcons Seahawks who's going to get in Frank uh Falcons um the Seahawks the Seahawks are going to win they're going to beat up on the Cardinals uh the NFC West really isn't competitive it's been the Seahawks for for recent years that it just kind of Seahawks and Cardinals kind of just dominated the West over recent years um, but they're not competitive. I mean, the 49ers are coming back on. They're going to be a scary team in the future, a uh, very scary team in the future, uh, especially if they keep Garoppolo. But uh, Seahawks are easily going to win their game. However, 
I think a lot's riding for the Falcons, and the Falcons know that. Panthers, they're going to play hard because they're still trying to win the NFC South. They want a game at home. But that's the Saints. That's the Saints division. Saints are going to win that division. Uh, Carolina, even if they don't win the division, they know they're in. So I don't think they're going to go as hard as the Falcons will. And I see the Falcons coming out on top. And due to the the head-to-head matchup, Falcons are in. Seahawks are out. And that is a great day for football if the Seahawks aren't in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that Russell Wilson, and he's having an MVP-type year. Look at the numbers, 32 touchdowns, only 11 interceptions, 94 quarterback rating. He's truly carried. He's truly had the rocket strap on his back. He's held. He's basically kept the Seahawks team in the postseason without Richard Sherman, without Cam Chancellor. The Legion of Boom just has one member left, Earl Thomas. And Russell Wilson can't do it all by himself. I think that the losses that they had, the lack of secondary play, even though they did beat up on the Cowboys this past week, which was very good for everybody in the NFC, especially Eagles fans. That was a that was a huge win for the Seahawks. But I just don't think that they can do enough. And even if they do get to the postseason, I like the Falcons better. I think both ends of the field for the Falcons, I think they're more talented. Uh, of course, with Matt Ryan, even though they're not as good as they were last year, they still got a lot of weapons. You look at Freeman and Coleman in the backfield, the one-two punch on the ground. Julio Jones is still an elite receiver. Muhammad Sanu is a good guy to have as a complimentary receiver, along with uh, Gabriel. And then the Falcons' defense. The Falcons' defense is still a pretty good defense. They still get pressure on the quarterback with Vic Beasley. Uh, I like the secondary with Trufant and Keanu Keanu Neal. He's a good, hard-hitting safety. And then Deion Debo Jones. Love Debo. Great um, inside linebacker. Gets a lot of tackles. Can drop back in coverage. I like the Falcons getting that final six uh, spot. And it's going to be very interesting because you look at the, the postseason uh, playoff picture. Obviously, the Eagles are 13-2. They got the number one spot. The Vikings, uh, they're 12-2. and they'll, they'll have the second seed. And then the Rams, they ready to clinch their division. They'll have the third seed at this point in time. But actually, no, the rest of it is up for grabs. Uh, for it the is. Third seed. Yeah. It's the Rams, the Saints, 11-4, and, and the Panthers, 11-4. So it's going to be interesting who the Eagles will end up playing. But I do – I have a prediction. I think that the Eagles will most likely either play uh, when it comes to their first uh, game. I think it's either going to be the Falcons, which, as you mentioned, will be a tough matchup, or I would say the Panthers. Because if we had the Falcons beating the Panthers, the Panthers would end up having to play in the wild card game. So for me, uh, for everyone also listening – uh, no, the second seed is still up for grabs. If Minnesota loses this weekend to the Bears and Carolina wins, Carolina takes that second seed due to the head-to-head matchup when Carolina beat Minnesota. However, I want to throw this out there, and I want your take on this, Brent. Yes, Minnesota is a cold-weather team because they live up in Minnesota, but they play in a dome. Realistically... Outside, if Seattle doesn't make it in, potentially all the teams in the playoffs, not including the Eagles, you've got the Rams who are a West Coast team playing West Coast warm weather. You've got Atlanta who plays in Georgia, right? Warm weather, but they're a dome team. You've got the Saints played down in Louisiana, warm weather, dome team. Carolina is the only one of them uh, outside of the Rams. Carolina has outdoor stadium, but they're in Carolina, warm weather. And 
the playoffs, the NFC playoffs, are coming through Philadelphia, where it's going to be cold, it's going to be frigid, and it's going to be a lot, a lot of fan bases. Brent, what's your take on that? Do you think these warm weather teams, obviously, again, Minnesota is from a cold state, however, they're playing in a dome. Do you think they can come in outside freezing weather conditions? Do you think they can uh, the beat Philly in Philly with the, just the weather conditions alone? Yeah, I think they can handle it. As you mentioned, Minnesota is very cold. It's like it's very cold in Philly. Sometimes the temperatures in Minnesota, it's even colder down there. So despite the fact that they play in a dome stadium, which will be the home of Super Bowl 52, I still think that the Vikings are used to playing in the cold. Uh, last year, uh, they play, or two years ago, they played in the cold, and obviously Blair Walsh had that infamous miss kick, that chip shot against the Seahawks. Uh, that everybody remembers, and uh, I think that they played in that cold, the cold conditions before. And the the thing with the Vikings are they they win their games because of their defense, and the cold weather really affects the offenses more so than it affects the defenses. So I'm not too worried about the Vikings if they were to play against the Eagles, uh, but I do think that it would be a good matchup for the simple fact that the Vikings and the Eagles are two teams that are playing with essentially backup quarterbacks. And they both have good defenses, even though I think the Vikings defense is slightly better. Okay. And I obviously the Vikings struggled in Green Bay uh, with those weather conditions. So that's kind of where I, I feel like the Vikings might slightly struggle in Philadelphia. Uh, Casey Keenum, I'm not putting I'm not putting uh, any money on him to do anything for the Vikings. Their defense is really the only thing that's keeping them in uh, in the play. Well, keeping them in the playoffs. They're the only reason they won the North is because of that defense. And the North is weak this year. Detroit, wishy-washy, can't win. Green Bay, once Aaron Rodgers went down, that was their season. Uh, Chicago's just a laugh. It's just a joke. Um, until they get, until John Fox and get Mitch Trubisky rolling, you know, and actually let him break out. Uh, you got Jordan Howard back there too. Uh, that's the only way the Bears are going to be good is John Fox has got to stop putting a stranglehold on uh, Trubisky's play. So – Minnesota, they just kind of won the North by default. They don't really scare me coming into uh, Philly, but I think it's going to be a struggle for all the other NFC teams that come from warm weather states uh, to go up to Philly and play in those weather conditions. Well, I won't really say that the Minnesota Vikings won by default um, because you look at what Case Keenum has done this year, filling in for Sam Bradford. Ever since that Sam Bradford got hurt, Case Keenum, I'm not a big Case Keenum fan. But he's played very well, and that's an elite defense. They got some grown men on that defense. <laughs> grown men, Frank. They got some real grown men on that defense. And I don't think it was a fluke at all. I think that what they have done as a whole, I think what Shermer has done with the offense, Pat Shermer, who was once the offensive coordinator for the Eagles for a period of time, he's done a great job of Case Keenum. And the way how they used their running backs, imagine they had Delvin Cook. They don't even have Delvin Cook. What they've done with McKinnon and – and uh, Mur and uh, yeah, Latavius Murray, and in the receiving course with Stephon Diggs and uh, Adam Thielen, also with uh, Kyle Rudolph, their offense is still pretty good. And that defense, I don't see any weaknesses in that defense. See, you look at the Eagles' defense; their front seven is very good. Obviously, there's some holes at the middle linebacker, middle linebacker position, but they still have a very good. Um, but the fact that their secondary is not as good, they don't really match up as well against if you're comparing the defenses with uh, the Minnesota Vikings, just because the Minnesota Vikings secondary with Harrison Smith and Xavier Rhodes and company, and you look at the linebackers with Eric Kendricks, Michael Kendricks' brother, 
Uh, you got Anthony Barr as a linebacker, and then they look at the the pass rushing with Everson Griffin, Danell Hunter, Linville Joseph. That defense has no weaknesses. So that's the reason why I think if it becomes a defensive battle, which I think it will be, usually in cold weather it becomes a defensive battle. Look at the Raiders and Eagles this past uh, Monday on Thanksgiving. I mean, on Thanksgiving, excuse me, on Christmas. I'm, I'm getting the holidays confused, ladies and gentlemen. But you look at this past Christmas – it was not. It was a. It was a more of a defensive battle than it was offensive battle. That's usually how it is in the cold weather. Yeah. Um, question: Did did Minnesota make any big off season transact uh, like uh, signings in their defense? No, their defense. To, their defense has always been very good. Yeah. So, is it the same defense that they had last year? Yeah, basically, it's basically the same starters. As a whole, I mean, they didn't really okay. make any changes. I think last year they struggled because they started off the season well with Sam Bradford playing well, and then all of a sudden they hit this hole. I think they started off with six and zero, six and one, around that range, and then they just hit this big hole. Uh, but this year that they start off well and they finished well so far. And I, like I, as you mentioned earlier, they they're still fighting for that for that second seed uh, of home field advantage, but. You know they still. I see. I think that they're very good this year defensively. I don't see any other other weakness on that defense. I really don't. The the point I was making was that no big off season signings for the defense. The defense is pretty still in, uh, is still pretty intact from last year, and they lost. They lost to the Eagles in Philly last year with that same defense uh, and a weaker Philly offense than we currently have right now. So again. Minnesota doesn't scare me. Their offense doesn't scare me. Their defense doesn't scare me. Uh, NFC's coming through Philly. And yeah, Philly... But, see, but honestly, though, Frank, that's last year. Like, you got to look at what's happening this year. I am looking at sure, what's sure. happening well, this year. You're not, you're not, though. You're looking at what happened <laughs> last year when Carson Wentz was the, was the quarterback. I'm, just, I'm looking at – you look at this year. That Vikings defense is better than they were last year. They, they, they still the same don't scare players. me. They still have the same players. But they're still better. Their scheme is better. They don't now. Granted, they were lucky that Aaron Rodgers got hurt. I will. I will admit that. Um, but aside from that, the defense is a lot better. Um, more than anything. But I think it's going to be an interesting uh, postseason. You're listening to Look at the Film, the pod of Rants Fun Real. Right back in a few seconds. Last thing I do want to get into before we close up this show is uh, clearly Eagles had this, they still have a finale to play on New Year's Eve against the Cowboys. Yep. And the question is, obviously, the Cowboys were eliminated from postseason play against the Seahawks. How about them Cowboys? Yeah, how about those Cowboys? Eliminated. <laughs> so Ride, the question like is, toast. You look, yeah, you look at, yeah, exactly. They're, they are done. They're done. And they're not coming back. So you look at the Eagles, and since they really clinched the first, first, I mean, since they clinched home field advantage to the playoffs, thirteen and two. Who would you bench in this game? Which who would you start? What are your thoughts, Frank? Uh, first off, Dallas Cowboys fans, if you are listening, uh, you guys are Texas toast. You're done. Feed it. Feed them birds at Texas toast. You know birds love toast, right? They love bread. So we're gonna. Feed those eagles some Texas toast. Uh, no, I don't think you. I don't think you bench anyone. Realistically, I think that's. I honestly, truly believe that is what hurt uh, the Cowboys last season um, when it came to playoff time. Benching, uh, 
pretty much all of their starters. So I say we got to keep the momentum going. We, we're coming off a, a rough game, an ugly win, and you got to keep that momentum going. You got to still, with with Carson Wentz being out, you have to still build that chemistry with Nick Foles and the offense. So I say you play them. I know you you risk injury. Uh, but the Eagles have been dealing with injuries all season. They're still in the position they are regardless of that. So I say you play them, you keep them warm, you're going to have a bye. So you're going to kind of cool off a little bit going into that bye. So I think you keep it you keep it relatively hot. You don't have two byes. You're not going to have those two weeks. So you bench them now. That's ultimately adding another bye week into it. Uh, so what I say is you play them, you play all of them, you could you can mess around a little bit. You can you can try out different players. You could get some of your second stringers in just to kind of warm them up, keep them fresh for for postseason play. Uh, like you were saying earlier, go give some uh, Sidney Jones and Russell uh, Douglas some reps in the secondary. But ultimately, offensively and defensively, I don't think you really bench anyone um, going into uh, the playoffs. Well, this is what I'm going to do, Frank. I don't care what people say. But I would start Nate Sudfeld <laughs> with the first-team starters and see how he plays with them. Keep Alshon Jeffrey in there. Keep Torrey Smith in there. Keep Aguilar in there. Keep Ertz in there. See how he plays with that first unit. Obviously, Nick Foles is going to start come postseason. But I would see what Nate Sudfeld's got. I really would. And with the defense, I would just bench all the defensive players. They don't need to play in this game. There's no need for them to play. I would, get, I would start with Sewell Douglas, as you mentioned. Sidney Jones, I would get them reps. But the rest of the guys, you don't want to get them hurt, especially Fletcher Cox. He missed a couple of games this year. So I would bench Fletcher Cox. I wouldn't play Brandon Graham. Uh, I wouldn't play Michael Kendricks. He's shown to be injury prone at times because you can't have any more injuries on that linebacking core. Um, I would go. I would see what Sidney Jones can do. That's what I really want to say. I really want to see how Sidney Jones can play. And as we mentioned earlier in the show, Doug Pearson has spoke about that he has not ruled out activating Sidney Jones. And also, bench the offensive line. I know you're not a big Vitae guy. Bench Vitae and, and Kelsey and Brooks and and Lane Johnson. They need to be fresh and ready to go come postseason more than anything. So I, I want to see what some of these young guys have. I want to see what uh, Nate Subfield has. And I still would get a quarterback off the street, Frank. I don't care what people say. I would get a quarterback <laughs> off the street. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no, I, I think you, offensive line wise, get some, uh, get Wisniewski some ra- uh, reps. Warmack is garbage. Vitae is garbage. Uh, you know, our our left our left side of that offensive line is a weak. It's, so no, 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 Frank. They're they're garbage. They're garbage. So uh, no, I mean. <laughs> Like I said, but it's you, not though. The left side's not as bad as you. I know we're joking around. I know you think so, but I think that Vitae has done a pretty good job. Halapudu Vitae Vitae has done a pretty good job. I know, right? I butchered his name, but yeah. I, got, I was close enough. Big V. That's all you need to say. You know? Big V. No, but it should be, it should be interesting what Doug Peterson's going to do Sunday. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, thank you everybody for joining us for our first episode of look at the film we really frank and i really really are aiming to have weekly shows more so every tuesday and thursday but because of the nature of the eagles game on christmas day we want to have we want to have the show on wednesday so once again thank you for joining frank and i for the first episode of look at the film the pot of rants fun and real and remember we aren't here to tell you what you want to hear but what you need to hear i rest my case 
If you enjoy listening to Look at the Film, then stay tuned for new episodes every week on podcast.com. That's podcast with an S.com.